Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you with confidence because of Jesus. We confess that you are indeed sovereign over all creation, and so we ask, according to your mercy, that you would pour out your Spirit on your people. We do pray for all that is going on in the world right now, which to us seems crazy, but to you doesn't catch you by surprise. Help us to be compassionate towards those who are vulnerable, towards those who are suffering. In our mild inconveniences, help us remember that many of our own neighbors are facing much more challenging realities than we are. So give us compassion for them and courage to serve them generously. For the church around the globe, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, would you sustain them even this morning and equip them to serve with the compassion and love of Jesus? to all those in their communities who are anxious and hurting and grieving. Would you give them discernment? Would you give them courage? And would you protect them? For the various national and public health leaders around the world, those in our own country, those in our own state, those in our own cities, would you give them wisdom and insight so they might lead well for the benefit of the people under their care? Father, for the body of Christ here in the Fargo-Moorhead area, Pray that we might be faithful missionaries, that we would be courageous in our witness and courageous in our compassion, that we would be wise in how we care for ourselves out of love for our neighbors, that we would be driven to prayer to a greater degree, and that we as a church would see this as an opportunity to be countercultural, exhibiting faith in God during a time of fear, and being ministers of reconciliation, ministers of peace as we find practical ways to serve one another and thus display the love of God towards us in Christ Jesus in practical ways. We believe that you are continuing to work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. So hear our prayers, Father, because of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, guys. And good morning. We gather together to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who reigns over all creation and sustains the universe by the word of His power. Like in all things, we live and move and act by faith in our sovereign King, who is supremely good, and by His own hand and through His Spirit, comforts, sustains, and provides for His creation, and more personally, provides for His people according to the riches of His inexhaustible grace. Now all this week I was preparing to continue in the next section in Luke's Gospel, the end of chapter 5, but as the events of the week unfolded, and as we've conferred together as elders and staff around best practices and wise responses to what is happening in the world around us, I began to ask this question, Lord, What does your word have to say to me and have to say to us here at River City? How can we be informed and reformed by the word of God to respond with wisdom and grace rather than fear and dread? So this morning, we're going to pause briefly our study in Luke and lean into what the scriptures have to say to us about living by faith in a time of Fear. And no matter your personal level of concern over this particular virus, there are real dangers and trials that we face every day. 
And so there are many things that tempt us to overwhelming fear that fuels anxiety and worry. However, I think God has something to say about that and why He is trustworthy. So we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6 this morning. You can turn there. Um, And what Jesus has to say about being anxious and trusting God as our good Father. If you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up. Joe can give you one. Uh, He does need something to do. Um, So he'd love to give you a Bible if you want to read along. Uh, Some of these slides will be on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 25 and read to the end of chapter 6, which is verse 34. So, starting in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Jesus is telling His listeners, do not be anxious. Five times He either says, do not be anxious, or asks it in the form of a question, why are you anxious? And then he outlines a number of reasons that support his questions and statements with reminders of God's faithful and continued care for all of his creation. Over things like birds and flowers and how if he takes care of those things, how much greater is his care for you and for me who are made in God's image? Really what Jesus is painting and pushing into here is this question of, What is your ultimate hope? When Jesus asks about what they will eat or wear, he isn't saying that food and clothing are are not important, but he's asking about their ultimate value. Who ultimately supplies food? What is the ultimate supply of all that we have? It's all from God above, is what he's getting at. So Jesus is pressing into and asking fundamentally, where is your trust? In the midst of all the burdens and concerns of life, where is your ultimate hope? Now, 
There have been many times this week, in, as we've just gone about my week, where I've been reading news reports and talking to others, and I've been reminded of the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. You may or may not be familiar with it. It's one of the most highly regarded summaries of the Christian faith. It's an easy look up on the internet, Heidelberg Catechism. Google it, download it, read it. It was first published in 1563 and is used today by more than a million Christians around the globe as a standard for theological belief and practice. As a catechism, it's designed with a question and answer format in order to both train Christians in orthodox or right belief and to anchor answers with scriptural references. So there's a question and then there's an answer and tagged on to the answer are the scriptural references for why that statement is there. Question one is this. We sang it in our first song. What is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer Heidelberg gives is this. Answer one. That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him? That's a good answer. And what grips me about this is not just that it is theologically rich, although it is. Nearly every line has a, has a, a, a scriptural reference with an anchor to a statement of the truth from God's Word. But also that this catechism This statement, question and answer, was not written in a vacuum. When these words were penned in 1563, tuberculosis was widespread. The bubonic plague, also known as the Black Plague, which spread across the globe in the 1340s and had multiple recurrences through Europe, all the way through to the 17th century, was something of a reality. So when this was written, it wasn't written in the time of modern medicine and basic hygiene and relatively high levels of quality of life. When the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism asked this question about the Christian's one comfort, one hope in life and in death, it was not merely a theoretical, theological exercise. See, Jesus is faithful is what they're getting at. He has met our deepest and truest needs by paying fully for all our sins by His precious blood, 1 Peter chapter 1. He has delivered us from slavery to sin and the rule of Satan, John chapter 8. He watches over each of us in such a way that not one hair, think about that, not one hair falls from our heads without the loving, kind, and sovereign knowledge and will of our God. Matthew chapter 10. And he is always 
working all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. Romans chapter 8. And that He is the one that secures for us and assures us of a glorious life to come. And in light of all these sure promises, we are ready to live here and now for Him in all circumstances. This is the anchor of hope for the believer, according to the Heidelberg Catechism. Looking reality in the face and saying, my hope, my ultimate hope, the hope that all my smaller hopes roll up into is that God is sovereign, that God is good, and that in Christ He loves me, that in Jesus I'm okay, and He will carry me all the way to the end. Therefore, I can live by faith and obedience in the here and now. And I don't think Jesus was speaking theoretically either when He spoke these words in Matthew chapter 6. He didn't say, don't be anxious in a time of modern prosperity or modern medicine or comfort, but in the midst of real trials and real concerns. Look again at Matthew 6. Do not be anxious about your life, verse 25, what you will eat or what you will drink, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Jesus is not saying that food and clothing are not important, but that they aren't most important. Further, he, he calls us to look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. How often do you go out into creation and look at the animals or the landscape and go, wow. How, how often, how many times have you talked to someone, and maybe even you yourself, where, where the, the feeling is that, you know, I really connect with God when I'm standing out looking at the Grand Canyon, or I'm out in nature, I'm looking at a sunrise. Part of what Jesus is saying is that, yes, that should wow you a little bit. Look at how God holds it all together. Look at the birds and how they, they thrive. They don't worry. They just live as God provides. Look at the flowers in all their beauty so beautiful that we attempt to keep a little beauty for ourselves by clipping them off and putting them in our kitchens, even for just a little while. The flowers don't toil for their beauty. The Lord himself clothes them with splendor, Jesus says. Even Solomon, who was rich and powerful, regal and wise, even he with all of his splendor was not nearly as glorious and beautiful as the lily in the field. And then Jesus says this, If God causes even the grass to grow beautiful, the grass that is here one day and withers the next, one day it's growing and full of life, and the next day it's gathered up and used for fuel, how much more does He care for you and for me? We are made in His image. In Christ, we are purchased and redeemed. Do you think that He cares less for you than the grass? or a flower, or a bird? That's the question. And Jesus says, do not be anxious over these things. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. These, what are the things they're seeking after? Food and drink. They're seeking after security and control, things that they can control, things that they can gather themselves, toilet paper, and hoard. 
right? And Jesus is using them as a negative example. These Gentiles, they don't know who I am. They don't have the promises that that you have, people of Israel, that were given to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They seek after all these things thinking that they can make, if they make sure that they have enough food, enough clothing, enough security, then they will be comforted, then they will have peace, then they will not have to worry. They don't know me, Jesus says. They seek after all these things. And then Jesus says, and your heavenly Father knows already that you need them all. He knows every need that you have. So I think Jesus is kind of putting his finger on the source of their worry. Your worry about these things, Jesus is saying, is exposing your unbelief. Does God not know what we need? Is he oblivious? Is he unaware? Is he powerless to do something about it? In a time of sudden crisis, let me ask you, have you asked these questions yourself? I have. I have. Getting the call from my mom last April that my dad's time on earth was short was tough. We knew it was coming eventually, but then when it came, it seemed sudden. Crisis. And I took great comfort in knowing that my dad had a strong faith in Jesus, but it was hard not to ask the Lord as we're driving down to the cities Really? Right now? This is how this is happening? Right now? And over that week, and often in moments of questions this week, Jesus' words ring loud in my ears. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows exactly what you need. He knows me. He knows my deepest need. And he cares for me. And then, in verse 33, Jesus says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What a verse that is easy to forget because I've heard it a hundred times. Rather than worry, rather than frantic holding and hoarding of food and clothing, and I'll say it again, toilet paper, instead of this, Not that it's bad to prepare. Not that it's bad to be mindful of your needs. But instead of this reactionary anxiety, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Make that your main focus and priority. And out of that, God will provide all that you need. Seek first. Notice He doesn't say seek only. He says, seek first. It's a right ordering of our priorities. As Christians, we believe in both providence, God's sovereign rule and care over the entire universe, and as Charlie said, every cell in every body in this room. And we believe in wisdom. We believe in the sovereign rule of God over every atom in the universe, and we believe that God uses normal means and calls us to live lives of faithfulness and discernment. Those are both true. I believe that every moment of my life was written, according to the Scriptures, 
in the Lamb's book before one of them came to be. That I, I am invincible until God says I'm not. But I also wear a seatbelt. And I wash my hands. And when I'm sick, I go to the doctor. Does my seatbelt wearing or my hand washing or doctor's visits say that I don't believe in God's sovereignty? Of course not. Of course they don't. It only says that I believe God uses means and calls us to wisdom. All my lesser trusts, because a seatbelt is a lesser trust. I trust that I'm not going to go through the windshield when I'm wearing my seatbelt. But that lesser trust is hidden in my greater trust in God's sovereign rule and reign over the universe. So all my lesser trusts, seatbelts, soap, I, I, going to the doctor, I found another S, stethoscopes, all of those lesser trusts are buried, covered, if you will, under my ultimate hope that my life is firmly planted in the palm of my Father's hand. We're not indifferent to reality, nor do we panic. In verse 34, Jesus says, Therefore, because your Father loves you far more than flowers or birds, because He knows your every need even better than you know it, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Just deal with today. What does it look like to trust God today? In our current place of uncertainty, and often far more questions than answers, how do we live free from anxiety and worry of things we can't control? How do we actively put our trust in God? How do we, as Heidelberg says, wholeheartedly live for Jesus in the now? A few things come to mind. First, we remember that for those who are in Christ Jesus, we are inseparably bound to Him. Romans 8, 35-39 is absolutely true. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or fill in the favorite blank? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what happens, we who are in Christ Jesus are inseparably linked to Christ. Second, we don't tempt God's sovereignty. The Bible calls us to wisdom. It isn't foolish to follow the instructions of civil authorities, to wash our hands, to be mindful of our contact with others. Practically, we have been closely following the recommendations from the North Dakota Department of Health and the governor's office. As of right now, North Dakota is in the low-risk uh, threshold number one as they talk about community transmission and how that affects schools and recommendations. So we're doing a few things for this week, adjusting our procedures temporarily and making plans that if and perhaps when the risk increases, we could to provide good pastoral care and good teaching via digital means. We're making those considerations and plans. Maybe for a number of weeks, if need be, as the spread of this 
uh, virus and pandemic continues and eventually, by God's grace, decreases. We continue to pray and prepare as the situation changes and recommendations change as well. We don't tempt God's sovereignty. We strive to act with wisdom. Consider it like a seatbelt. And third, as people who've been forgiven, as people who've been purchased, who are loved and known, who have a glorious future secure with God forever, we are uniquely positioned to exemplify faith when the world around us is living in fear. Pastor and author R. Scott Clark wrote this paragraph this week I found was remarkably helpful, so I'm going to give it to you. We are Christians, he says. We are a purchased people. COVID-19 is not the Black Plague, which some survived. We know that this world is not random. The Savior who purchased us by his obedience and death will not abandon us. Should he will to take us out of this life, we will go to be with him who loves us. Now you might be going, my, that sounds a little harsh. Just keep following, it gets good. Um, This is not to be cavalier, but it's to put our fears into some perspective. The world tells us that life is all there is, so they panic. By contrast, we make preparations. We love our neighbors. We serve them as best we can as citizens of a twofold kingdom or with the confidence of knowing that our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to him. He also wrote about how his church is not meeting this week and how they're taking precautions to care for those who are around them. So here's someone saying, remember who we are. Remember our overwhelming trust in God. And let's act in faith and in wisdom. Every one of our neighbors needs to hear this hope that we just talked about. Because he's right. Clark is right. The world says, well, this is all we got. We have to do everything we can to hang on to this. And the hope we have is, oh, there's so much more. We have the opportunity to share this hope that we have with the world around us. So what does it look like to be people of peace when many others are panicking? What does it look like to be people of faith when others are crippled by fear? Thinking of love for neighbor over self-preservation or preference. Being willing to give up personal comfort for the comfort and care of someone else. So a few questions. Who do you know in your own spheres who might be immunocompromised? Or who's in a high-risk population? What does it look like to reach out to them with a text? Ask them if they need anything. How can you help? How can you pray for them? Who are the individuals who are dealing with this virus in real time? Medical professionals or those caring for the elderly? I've made contact today with those who are in the medical field, who are even Andrea, who's playing piano today. She doesn't even work in an emergency setting, and she's like, we're getting messages every five minutes. Telling us, here's what we're doing, and if it gets bad, that they'll call all hands on deck to deal with these sorts of things. We have uh, folks who work uh, with folks, uh, people in nursing homes and assisted care facilities, basically on lockdown right now. What does it look like to pray for them and to care for them and look for ways to serve them? And also, what scriptures are you preaching to your own heart right now, this week, to fight for belief? when other voices are clamoring for fear. Justin Taylor, who works with Crossway and writes for the Gospel Coalition, wrote this this week. 
He said, our journey with the coronavirus has just begun and it may soon fizzle out into a, to dim memories in the, uh, of the medical history books, but it is also a God-ordained opportunity for many Christians to display the love of Christ in service to their neighbors and to live out the fearlessness of death that Christ has won for all His children. It's an opportunity for Christians, God-ordained opportunity for Christians to display the love of Christ. So what does that look like in the context where you live and work? Heidelberg reminds us that our one hope, one ultimate comfort is not in a vaccine. It's not ultimately in a quarantine. It's not in money or a job or food or clothes. Our one comfort our primary and ultimate comfort that all of our other hopes and comforts are wrapped up into is Jesus. And our opportunity right now is to confess and profess and display this hope that we have. And we do it in our wise precautions, in our willingness to restrain our own preferences for the good of others, and in our proactive care and love to our neighbors. In the days and weeks ahead, as the spread of this virus becomes more prevalent, probably even in our own community, where other places it's happening eventually with school closings and other things will likely happen here, a strain on our healthcare facilities, and possibly even the suspension of this worship gathering for a number of weeks. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 and what Heidelberg number one is reminding us is that because God is sovereign and good, because He loves us and knows us, we can, with unnatural, or may I say it this way, supernatural confidence and hope, love our neighbors and live wholeheartedly for Him. May we, by God's grace, live for Christ Jesus this week. May we uh, come to find the hope that we have in Jesus, and may others hear that and come to this same saving faith in Christ as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you're merciful, that you're patient, and that you uphold the universe and sustain all things by your word. We pray for our own hearts that are so often bent towards fear that you would grow in your people a a confidence in the midst of unknown circumstances, a confidence in your goodness and your sovereign care and that you would encourage those who are discouraged, that you would bring peace to those who are conflicted and concerned, and that you would use your people to be a voice of hope and compassion with the gospel of Jesus, the eternal and ultimate hope in Jesus, that that would be our message Would you give us wisdom in how we interact as individuals and how we work together as a people 
for your great glory, even here in our city. Guide our steps and our decisions. Help us to know the nearness of the indwelling Spirit, that we are not alone even in our isolation. And would you set us loose with compassion and courage to love and serve those around us because we've been loved and served so perfectly in Christ Jesus. We ask this in His name. Amen.